Well, last week we began a month-long journey through Second Timothy. We continue that again today, looking at the theme of the habits of the church. What are the habits that we, as Christians living in the life of the church, are meant to take on, meant to embrace and embody in the core of our being? And today, as you may have picked up through our songs, through our prayers, we're looking at the theme of suffering and the themes of the cross, that the church is meant to be a church of the cross. This is an essential habit, we could say, that we glory not just in the victory, of God, but in his suffering and see those in God's mystery as somehow linked, somehow joined together. And so if we can just dive straight in, two things I want to say in the few minutes we have today. First really comes from that verse eight that we read. Remember Jesus Christ, Paul says, remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead, a descendant of David. That is my gospel. And I want to sit for a few minutes with this theme of remembrance to unpack this word a bit. Remembrance. Remembrance really is a key word for us as Christians. This word shapes and animates much of our Christian life. It's, as I mentioned last week, really a central theme to the people of Israel. I talked about the people of Israel are a people who are meant to remember even though they are prone to forget. You could sum up much of Israel's history as a people who are prone to forget. So often the failures that they run into is really a failure of remembrance, a failure to remember God's promises and to live into them. God frees them and they find themselves brought out of slavery and bondage and yet they say to God, we had it better in Egypt. Did you just bring us out here to die? All the way through, all the way up to the time of Jesus, we then see both failures and successes in God's people's ability to remember. All the way now to Paul's very words where he tells us to remember Jesus Christ. He tells Timothy, remember Jesus Christ. And on the one hand, you could read this and say, how could they possibly forget? These are the last words that Paul gave to Timothy before he met his death. In his final words, you think, surely, Paul, there's other things you could spend your time on, other things that maybe Timothy needed to remember. And yet we should say without exception, this is the most central thing in all of Paul's writing. Time and time again, this is the point Paul is trying to drive home, that we are meant to remember Jesus Christ. Whatever else you do in life, whatever else you become in your life, the centrality of Jesus can never be forgotten. It is always to be what is front and center. And I think that's exactly why he gives this charge, knowing it's a bit of a farewell discourse, knowing these are his last words. He wants Paul to remember Jesus Christ. I think part of this for us is we, I think we have a limited imagination when it comes to the word remember. When it comes to the word remember, typically when we say that, we mean knowing something exists. Like that's a one-to-one. When I say remember, it means I know something or someone exists. So you could go to an extended family gathering and your mother brings someone over that you've never seen before. And your mother says, do you remember my great aunt Rose? And you say, of course I do. (laughs) Not to embarrass your mother. And maybe you remember in the sense you know Aunt Rose exists. But in no way whatsoever does Aunt Rose have a bearing upon your life. Is she involved in an intimate and significant way in your own journey of faith? This is not what Paul means when he says, remember. It's not a question that he poses to Timothy like, remember Jesus Christ, son of Mary, died a few years back? rose from the dead. Remember, it's not a question. It's a statement, really a statement of intention. He's exhorting, to use an old church word, he's exhorting Timothy, in all that you do, remember Jesus Christ. Remember Jesus in the way that you live your actual life day in 
and day out. The fancy Greek word for remembrance is anamnesis, which is a fun word to say. But it's not the kind of remembering like we remember Aunt Rose. It's not even remembering something nostalgic, like your favorite Christmas gift as a child. Sometimes I think when we think of Jesus, that's how we're supposed to think of Jesus, like a sweet, sentimental Jesus in the manger. And we have this kind of nostalgic affection for Jesus. That also misses the boat. That's not the kind of remembering that Paul is inviting us to. Remembering in this sense of anamnesis is looking back to anticipate something that's going to come. Bringing, you could say, into the present God's past actions. Here's how one scholar put it. I think we have this on the screen. Anamnesis is the antithesis of amnesia. It's also a fun sentence. A person with amnesia has lost identity and purpose. To know who you are, to whom you belong, and where you are headed, you must remember. A Christian is one for whom, through anamnesis, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is a present reality. And one who has already entered the kingdom through it is not yet realized in its fullness. I think this is the kind of remembrance, the kind of anamnesis we enter into week by week when we come to the table. There's a significant element of anamnesis, of remembering every week when we pray at the table. It maybe is easy to kind of fade out or or kind of check out a bit when we're in the middle of these prayers. But think about how significant they are. We'll pray this in just a few moments. We'll say these words. Holy and gracious Father, in your infinite love, you made us for yourself. When we had fallen into sin and become subject to evil and death, you and your mercy sent Jesus Christ, your only and eternal son, to share our human nature, to live and die as one of us, to reconcile us to you, the God and Father of all. That is anamnesis. That is this beautiful picture of a communal remembrance. Not just thinking nostalgically to the past, but saying who and what Jesus is, the significance of his death and resurrection brings for us Eternal life brings us into the joy and the fellowship of God's kingdom and therefore has significance in every way for the way we live day in and day out. And I think in some ways that's a long form version of the prayer that Paul prays in verse eight when he says, remember Jesus Christ. Two things he tells us to remember. Remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead and descendant of David. And I think in one sentence, one breath, Paul reminds us, remember the mystery of our faith that Jesus Christ is fully God descended from David, and yet also, excuse me, fully God, raised from the dead, fully human, descendant of David. It's tricky, isn't it? This is what Paul wants us to see. Jesus is the living word of God, fully God, fully human, and this bears upon our lives in profound ways. And I think I would say this also just as an aside. Whenever we talk about the word of God, it's good to remember that the scriptures primarily are referencing Jesus Christ. It's not a a reference to itself. I missed this as a kid. This may seem obvious to you. I missed this growing up. When I heard word of God, I immediately would only think of the Bible. And yet the Bible itself says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. The word was with God. The word was God. The word is Jesus Christ. And so the written word is the word to the extent it bears witness to the living word. But we can't miss that fact. We do not worship a book. We believe the book invites us into faithfully the living word of God who can be known and loved and related to. It's interesting to think about the early church spent centuries without the Bible. 
which is an interesting thought. It took them centuries to sit with these writings and say, before the spirit, before the community, which of these bear so fully the aroma of Jesus that we can say definitively for the church throughout all time and space, these are the writings that we hold up as Holy Scripture. These are the writings we believe will not fail to reveal Jesus to us, the living word. That's why we hold Scripture so high. Because we believe scripture reveals to us the living word of God. I think this is the kind of remembering we're called to. When we read the Bible, how does this text help us remember Jesus? Why did the early church offer this text to us? This letter that Paul wrote to Timothy. Why did they offer this letter to us to say in all times and all places, this should be read to help us remember Jesus in the way we live. Day in and day out. Week in and week out. And so I think when we read Paul's words, we can ask ourselves that question and say, what is Paul wanting us to remember? In what way are we meant to remember Jesus? What about his life most significantly should bear upon my week and your week, your month and my month? And I would say this, there's many things we could say in the time we have. One significant point I want to make, kind of tied to that first one. We remember Jesus Christ by enduring suffering for his sake for the sake of others, and we believe that glory comes by the way of the cross. I want to finish by talking for just a few minutes about suffering. And I would say straight away, it's a tricky topic to engage. Very quickly, we can find ourselves in stormy seas and saying things we probably shouldn't be saying. Because on the one hand, we as Christians look at human suffering, we look at uh, brokenness in our world and fully believe, have to believe, that is at the heart of what Jesus came to heal and to set us free from. That suffering is very much at the heart of God's redemptive plan to see suffering as something he brings an end to, brings us into peace and into joy. And so it's very much a Christian aim for us to give ourselves to the relief of suffering, to the end of suffering in our world, in our lives, in our families. Uh, It's good to remember Christians are responsible for more humanitarian aid, more relief work than any other single group in the world. Christians care about bringing an end to suffering, to fighting against injustice. It's for good reason we think of people like Mother Teresa as a saint because she so fully embodied this way of life. And yet, and yet I would say this, with all of that as an indisputable truth, for us in affluent Western society, us in America, in Atlanta sitting here today, I think we can be so consumed with the elimination and the avoidance of suffering or trial that we fall apart spiritually, physically, emotionally at the slightest sign of trial, the slightest sign of discomfort. I believe that to be true because it's true in my own life and I believe it's true in ours as well. I think without demeaning, without minimizing anyone's pain or suffering in this room, because I know it is real, I know it can be acute and severe, there are ways in which difficulty and challenge in our lives, if we have eyes to see it, can actually make us strong, can actually make us substantial people. I think we know this deep down somewhere, because we've learned it from a very young age. I learned this at a very young age. When I was probably two or three years old, my best friend growing up, who's still a really dear friend of mine, um, he lived on our street and he got chicken pox. And so within 24 hours, all of the other kids on the street had chicken pox. We had a big party. We all went to his house. 
it was the 1980s. They had vaccines. I don't know why they all thought we need to go through and everyone get chickenpox, but it also undermines my point to point that out. Because through suffering, through a week of having chickenpox, presumably I was made stronger. My, my, in, my immune system was stronger and as a result became like immune to chickenpox. And, and, and so what we did, all, all the kids on the street uh, got it from my friend. Um, that exposure, you could say, to suffering minimized or made my body resilient and resistant to disease. Here's another example that's not so distant in all of our pasts. Um, CrossFit. CrossFit's a great example. Some of you may do CrossFit. If not, um, you know what it is because it's on every street corner. Everyone you know does it or talks about it. And CrossFit is a great example of taking on intentionally suffering in your life because it, it hits suffering in a lot of different ways because you spend hundreds of dollars to go to a warehouse that's 110 degrees and you pay someone to yell at you while you flip a tire over again and again. If that's not suffering, I don't know what it is. It is profound suffering in its own way. And yet, why do we do this? Because we believe in some way this makes us strong. That the absence of that kind of conflict, the absence of that kind of suffering makes us frail people. Makes us weak and hollow and insubstantial. I think of John Mulaney, the comedian who, talking of his own image and his own appearance, he said he looks like someone who was sitting for 30 years in a dark room eating saltine crackers. It's the opposite of CrossFit. And so if there's any truth to that, if you can go with the image, I think Paul is saying, don't be the spiritual version of a saltine cracker. Be someone who has substance. Be someone who has actual grit and depth to you. Then the only way you find that is actually by walking a hard road. A road that requires some degree of challenge and pain and suffering. And believing that good can come from that. That actually through that process you are made more substantial. Even more Christ-like we might say as well. I think one of the most beautiful images in scripture for this kind of growth is the image of crushing olives to make oil and of pressing grapes to make wine. Both of those are deeply uncomfortable things to go through if you are especially a grape or an olive. And yet through that, it yields something profoundly beautiful. We get oil and we get wine because these are pressed and crushed. And if you stay in the process, something good comes through it. I'm not telling you to go and seek out suffering, to go out of your way to find something incredibly hard and tragic just so you can be pressed. And yet, I am convinced you don't have to look very far. You don't have to live very long to find things in your life that feel like an olive being crushed or a grape being pressed. That will require of you and me. An ability to believe God is in this and that through this suffering he might be, in fact, bringing about something good, something beautiful. Think of verse 11. Paul's quoting this early Christian hymn. He says, if we've died with Jesus, we also live with him. If we endure, we will reign with him. And then beautifully in verse 15, he says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved by him. As a worker who has no need to be ashamed. When I read those words, I think of Dietrich Bonhoeffer's famous line, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. And I think there's something that we can be prone to miss in our quest for comfort. That in fact, when Jesus calls us, he calls us to walk the way of the cross, to be willing to come and die. That this is central to the life of discipleship. Paul says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved by him. Do you ever think and actually stop and think about what that day might look like? The fact that before you and I realize it, we will blink 
And you and I will have died. And we will be facing the Lord Jesus. We will see him face to face. Will we present ourselves as someone who's done our best? Has no reason to be ashamed? Will we see Jesus with the wounds in his hands and his feet? Someone who knew suffering, yet someone who today knows glory. Perfect, infinite glory, ruling and reigning. And he looks at us and will he be pleased with us? I often wonder that. I ask the Lord, Lord, are you pleased with me? Am I living faithfully in such a way as when I reach that day, will you be pleased with me? Am I doing all that I can to present myself as one approved by him, as someone who has no reason to be ashamed? On the one hand, I know there's ways I do. Faithfully, sacrificially, give myself to Jesus. Live the life of a disciple. And yet, I know in my heart of hearts, there are still countless ways in which I am addicted to comfort and to ease and to entertainment and myself, ways that I fail to give myself away for the good of others. I serve only when it's convenient or I can fit it in. On and on I could go, on and on you could go. There are ways in which, if we are honest, we fall short of Paul's words. That if we met the Lord today face to face, there are things I would be deeply ashamed of. Things in which I would... No, I have failed to wake up from my amnesia. I failed to remember. I failed to live into this beautiful, beautiful invitation that he gives to us. And yet, it's not bad news for us. As we sang, his, our sins are many and his grace is more. There's something that we have to cling to and hold on to that says whatever shame or brokenness or discouragement and suffering we feel today, there is profound goodness in the grace and the mercy of God, that he sees us in our sin, he sees us in our failures, and he invites us still into a future, into a new way forward. And so I'll close with this thought. I'm going to shift gears, but I think it applies. Close with an image from John's gospel of Jesus and Peter on the boat and on the seashore. There's a church in the Sea of Galilee called Peter's Primacy. It's a modern church, but it's built on the ruins of a church from the 4th century. It's also known as the Place of the Coals. Place of the Coals. Because it's been believed since the earliest days of the church, this is where Jesus sat and cooked fish by a barbecue fire and invited his disciples to come and have a meal and where he restored Peter. Peter, who's obviously feeling the weight of his sin and his failure to acknowledge Jesus, the ways in which he did not present himself in every way, ready for that final day. And yet, Jesus invites him in. I'll, I'll read the story for us and then we'll wrap up. I think it's just a profoundly beautiful story for us when we think of suffering and sin and brokenness and yet God's kindness and his restorative mercy. There is no better story than the restoration of Peter. And so in John 21, it says this. When they'd finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. The second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were a stranger, you used to fasten your own belt 
and to go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not want to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which he would glorify God. After this, Jesus said to him, follow me. I think I love this story so much because Peter's denial of Jesus is unquestionably Peter's greatest failure. Peter's darkest hour. And what Jesus does is he doesn't hide that fact. He doesn't pretend it doesn't exist when he invites him to the beach. He doesn't sit and talk about sports or anything else to ignore the elephant in the room. No, he goes straight to it. Jesus calls out Peter's greatest failure and says, that can be healed. I can do something with this. And there's something profoundly and beautifully good and true for us as well. Whatever our greatest failure is, whatever our deepest source of shame may be, the thing that every couple of hours we kind of think about that's there deep down in the back of our mind, our greatest failure, disappointment, the greatest lost dream, our suffering that we don't know how God could ever redeem or have a way forward for this. If you look at that beautiful story on the beach, Jesus calls that out. And for every failure that Peter had, Jesus says, do you love me? Do you recommit yourself to a way forward? Because there's always a way forward. There's always a way in which God's mercy has the final word. And so for every time he denies the Lord, Jesus in the same breath, both forgives him and gives him a future. He says, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Follow me. And I think that's a good place for us to land as well. As we remember Jesus in the lived day-to-day experience of our life, even in suffering, even in times of brokenness and shame and discouragement, can we hear Jesus' words to us? Do you love me? Do you believe my mercy is more? There is always a way forward for you and for me to be faithful and useful in his kingdom. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, We come before you, I think, mindful, profoundly aware of the ways in which we fail, the ways in which we deny you through our actions and our thoughts, our words, our deeds, ways in which we are desperate for your grace and your mercy. And so would you... Give us faith to believe that you invite us to the seashore. That you invite us to sit and to eat at your table and to be restored and to be healed. That there's always an invitation to love, an invitation to continue forward as your disciple. So wherever we are in a place of pain and loss and suffering, Help us to believe that you are in it, working for our good. Would you give us the courage to persevere and to not pull out when things get hard, when we feel discouragement or discomfort or friction? Would you make us substantial people, people who are not frail and pushed over at the first sign of trouble? but are filled with your grace and your mercy. Let it be so, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. As you're able, would you stand? Thank you so much for listening to today's sermon. My name is Trip Prince, and I'm the parish pastor here at Trinity on the north side. 
At Trinity, our mission is to be a people growing into Christ's likeness. You can learn more about Trinity and get plugged into the life of the church by visiting us online at atltrinity.org. God bless you and have a great week.